good morning. It's good to be here, isn't it, as we we come and worship our God, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online or watching it later. As we come to worship God, I'm going to read a few verses from Exodus 34, just to remind us of the God that we are coming to worship and to be with. Exodus 34, this is where Moses has asked if he can see God. And God has said, no, but I will tell you my name. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. Let's come before our God and let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you and we thank you that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. That you are a God who is slow to anger and is patient. That you are a God who is keeping steadfast love and in your faithfulness keeping it for thousands we thank you that you are a God who is forgiving iniquity and sin and transgressions but we remember that you are a God who will punish sin iniquity and transgressions if they are not forgiven and for those of us that know you for those of us who love you for those of us that that have come in faith to you, believing and trusting that Jesus' death on the cross has taken away the punishment for our sin. He has borne, he has taken that punishment for us. We thank you for it. And we want to join Moses as he worshipped you. May we worship you today. And if there's any here this morning, if there's any who are watching online who do not know that forgiveness, we pray that today the Holy Spirit would be working and would be taking away unbelief and would be causing them to see, convicting them of the sin, of the wrong that you see and coming to Jesus in faith and repentance, looking for forgiveness. And we thank you that anyone who comes believing and trusting that Jesus' death on the cross takes away that barrier between them and you, Father God, Lord, will be forgiven. And we thank you for that. Help us as we worship you now. May our focus be on you. May any distracting thoughts be taken away from us. And may you bless us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to, we're going to join in singing as we have our first song, which is Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it comes up with a number a bit later on in this, this song, but I'm sure there are many, many blessings we can think to worship and praise God for. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul, let's stand and sing. Thank you. 
to um, read from Luke, reading from chapter 2 and verse 66 through into chapter 23 and verse 25. So carrying on in our series in Luke, Mark will be preaching a little bit later on from the events that happen in this passage. So Luke 22 and verse 66. Now when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led Jesus away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned Jesus at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You bought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, 
desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now we're going to come and sing our next, our next song. And afterwards, Luke, it will do the children's talk. But when we've just been reading what Jesus endured for us, you know, it's easy to sing, isn't it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.
Well, good morning, all of you. Lovely to see so many of you down here. So many of you on the floor as well now. Right, well, I've got some photos to show you, and I want you to tell me what you see, okay? Oh, okay. (laughs) Right, first one, top left-hand corner. Flo. Excellent. Top right-hand corner, Harvey. Cone. Yeah, what sort of cone? Go on, Molly. Traffic cone. Guess what we were watching last night? Lydia. The Mars Singer. Yeah, definitely. And then bottom left. What was bottom left? Yeah. Mushroom. Mushroom, yeah. And bottom right, my favourite should have won. (laughs) Robo Bunny. Yeah, that's it. So all of these people, now for those of you that don't know the show, what happens is you get a whole group of people and they all dress up, sing a song, and then the judges have to, and us, have to work out who's singing. Now, there's one problem working out who's singing, and what's that? Danny? They're behind a mask. We can't see who it is, so we can't work out who's singing. So that's the whole point of the show, isn't it? Well, all these crazy masks means that we can't work out who it is, so then at the end of the show, one of them takes off their, takes off their mask, and we find out who the real person behind it is. So... That got me thinking that that can be like us sometimes, can't we? Well, we can put masks on our face, can't we? And we you know, put like a lion mask on because we want to pretend to be a lion and we want to pretend to be someone else, don't we? Why else might we, might we, hide, uh, might we, <laughs> might we put a mask on? Sorry? Because of COVID, we might put a mask on. Very true, yeah. And what, what about if you put like a, a lion mask on? Why might you do that? Why else might, what are you trying to do by putting a mask on, Annie? Sorry, yeah, play, so yeah, pretending you're something else, but also maybe to hide something as well. Maybe you're trying to hide who you are so you can pretend to be an animal or whatever, your favourite character. And we can be a bit like that sometimes, can't we? We can put a mask on, but not on our face, but sometimes we can put a mask on our character, which sounds a bit odd, but can I have a volunteer to wear my homemade mask? Come on then, Annie, your hands straight up. Here you go. Here you go, here's my homemade mask, and on it, can any of you read, uh, yes, do you, want to, do you want to read some of the words? Good, kind, loving, Very good, yeah, good, kind, loving, patient, gentle, and that is what we want people to think about us, don't we? We quite like the thought of people thinking that we're good and saying, oh, I saw them at church and saw them down at Sunday school, this is all very good, and saw them being kind to their brother and sister, but... Can you remember what last week's children's talk was all about? Do you remember Mark did it? Putting you on the spot, isn't it? What did you do? You tried to hit the target, did you? And did any of you do a very good job at hitting the target? Uh -uh. No, definitely not. You all missed. And what what was Mark's message? What was the point of that? What was Mark showing you by Flynn? No one can hit the target, can they? No one can do exactly what God wants to do other than Jesus. So we know that in our heart, we've got sin in our heart, haven't we? And that, sorry, you can can sit down now if you want. No, you're enjoying wearing it. Um, But that's that's what's in our heart. And 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 we but we want other people to see that we're good and that we're kind. But what does God see? What does God see? Does God say, "Oh yeah, I I can I can see they're good people"? What does Lydia? 
Yeah, he sees the evil. He sees the sin in our heart. He sees when we miss the target, doesn't he? And there's a Bible verse here that I know you've definitely seen before. Would someone like to read that out? Go on then, Flynn. The Lord looks at the heart, doesn't he? And so even though we might look good to other people, and we like to look good to other people, God sees what's in our heart. And that is the bit that is important, and that's why we need to ask God to forgive us, because that's where our sin is. We need God to take away our sins that when he sees, uh, so that when he sees our heart, he sees himself. And we can cover up all we like and pretend to be something that we're not, but we must have, uh, but we must have our heart set right with God, and the mask is taken away. It doesn't matter if we're wearing, wearing a mask. God sees past the mask. And so therefore, it's his approval that we need and not everyone else's. Well, thank you very much for listening and you can go back to your seats. Thank you, Luke. What a privilege to have so many children, isn't it, to come up to hear the talk. It's lovely. <coughs> Let's... Um, Let's, again, come to our God in prayer. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. We thank you, Father God, for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to bear so much. Everything that we read about from Luke is true. And we realise that he went through all of that so that we can have peace with you. And we pray that you would help us to come in worship. That you would help us to come in thankfulness. That if we don't know you as our saviour, that you would help us to come and say sorry and ask for forgiveness. And we pray that your word would have an impact on our lives, that your word would change us. We pray that you would teach us and that we would be filled with understanding and with knowledge. Not a knowledge that makes us proud, but a knowledge that makes us wise in how we are to live our Christian lives here on this earth. And we pray that as we learn from your word, that as, we, as you teach us from it, it would have an impact on the way we live our lives. And we pray that you would use our personal Bible reading times. We pray that you would use the times when we come to worship you on the Lord's Day to speak to us. We pray that you would help Mark today as he brings your word to us. We pray that as you help Luke, the children would take that message away and you would start working in their hearts. That even though they may be able to behave in a way that covers up what they're thinking, you know, behaving in a way that covers up what they're feeling, Lord, you know, you can see behind anything that we put on in our lives. But we pray that you would help us in our lives as life isn't always easy. We pray that you'd strengthen us 
Lord, that sometimes we have to endure difficult times. And in strengthening us, and in supporting us, and in comforting us, we pray that that would bring us joy with our relationship with you. Lord, it seems a strange concept to have joy from difficulty. Lord, but we know that when you are with us, and you are supporting us, Lord, it does bring that joy of knowing you and that peace. We do pray that you would give us opportunities to talk about you. We'll be recently on Thursday, we're looking at how we can take advantage of those opportunities in speaking to our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, uh, our families. Lord God, we pray that you give us opportunities to talk about Jesus and perhaps be able to give our testimony of what he's done for us in our life to bring honour and glory to you. And we pray to bring people into your kingdom through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may he be working in people's lives uh, to do that. Lord, again, we thank you for our goodness. We thank you for holidays. And we pray for those who um, are away at the moment. We pray that you would um, refresh them physically, mentally and spiritually. We pray for those in our, who work in the education. We pray that you would give them a rest over this half-term break. Lord, we um, also commit to you those who are unwell. We pray that you'd be with them. We pray you'd be with those who are in hospital. We especially commit to you, Amber May, at this moment, and pray that your healing hand would be upon her and they would be able to deal with uh, the infection that she has. Lord, we also commit to you, Louis Bishop, who has that spinal operation tomorrow. We ask that you'd give those who are operating on him wisdom, care. Lord, using that their experience, using their talent, using their knowledge that you have given them. But we pray you would bring healing um, and the operation would go well. Lord God, we still remember those who are bereaved and ask that you would continue to be with them. Lord, we pray that you would be their strength and we pray that you would be their comfort in this difficult time. Again, we want to thank you for opportunities that we have had to speak about the gospel. We think of the Hope Explore course. We thank you uh, that they have gone so well so far. And we pray that you'd continue to be with the evening group. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in their lives, teaching them and drawing them and bringing them to yourself. We thank you for the students that have been under your word in Cyprus. And we ask that what they have learned in the student seminars would have an impact on their life and would bring glory to your name. Father God, we think slightly further afield and we know that king's hearts are in your hands and we pray that you would be an influence for good in the situation developing on the Russian-Ukraine border. We ask that there would be a de-escalation of what seems an inevitable conclusion. And we pray that you would bring peace into that troubled part of the world. And as we return to our service, again we commit Mark to you. Lord, we pray that you would help him as he brings your word to us. 
And we pray our hearts would be open and our ears would be listening to receive what you have to say for us. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our third, our third song, which is Who, O Lord, Could Save Themselves? And if we switch the chorus, please, Joe. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Let's stand and sing. It's good to see your faces, and for those of you online, it's good to have you with us as well. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That was the explosive quote that we heard from Jesus at the end of last week. Jesus announces to the council of the chief priests and scribes, the Jewish leaders, that he is uh, going to be the one that will be given glory and a kingdom, that people from all nations and all tongues will serve him, and that his kingdom will last forever and that it will never be destroyed. It's an explosive claim by Jesus. And it's not missed by anyone who hears it. They realise that Jesus here is claiming to be the Son of God. And for them, that's all the evidence that they need. In their eyes, this is blasphemy. He's condemned himself. Jesus has already been arrested by them. And if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that. But now, all of them want him to be executed. We're going to go through Luke 23 this morning, first 25 verses. 
And all I want to do, very simply this morning, is just take us through the verses. Just explain them bit by bit, build it up, and we'll get to the punchline that is the end of this section that I think Luke is building us up to. So that's all we're going to do this morning. But as we go through it, I think it will help you engage with it if you try and imagine being there. If you try and imagine seeing the sights, hearing the sounds, hearing the crowd shouting. Try and feel the intensity of what's going on. Try and get a sense of the injustice of this situation. So, chapter 23, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They, all the leaders, or the Jewish leaders, they, they get up as one and they take Jesus to Pilate. There's no murmurings of disagreement. There's no clashes of opinion. Everyone is in unity, agreement. They all get up as one. They all stand up on their feet and they all take Jesus to the Roman Pilate. They're united in their desire to kill Jesus. And they take him to Pilate because the problem is, is that the Jews aren't allowed to execute people themselves. The Romans restrict that for themselves. Only the Romans are allowed to execute people. So if the Jews want to execute someone, they have to take them to the Romans and explain why they want to execute them and get the Romans to do it for them. But they don't just rush in to Pilate. Because they know that Pilate probably won't really care about their blasphemy laws. He's not that bothered. So they don't rush in, they're clever about it. If they're going to get Pilate to do what they want him to do, kill Jesus, then they've got to want to make Pilate care about this Jesus, to realise that this Jesus will impact Pilate. So when they're accusing Jesus, they make three claims that are specifically designed to make Pilate sit up and take notice. So, we enter Pilate's courtroom. And this is the first claim that they bring against Jesus. They say, this man is misleading our nation. This man is misleading our nation. It's a bit of a funny phrase. But they're basically claiming that Jesus is encouraging people to be disloyal to Rome. They're saying to Pilate, this man's a rebel. This man is going to cause, at the very least, social unrest. There's going to be chaos if you let this man roam free. That's not going to look good on you, Pilate, if you let this man go free. That's claim one. Claim two is this. He's forbidding us to give taxes to Caesar. Well, the first claim wasn't true. This claim definitely isn't true. Back in Luke 20, some of you might remember it, some of you might know it from your Bibles, the the chief priests and the scribes had actually tried to catch him out on this very issue. This is back in Luke 20. They said, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Look at how they're buttering Jesus up. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness. He knows they're laying a trap. And he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? Well, they look at it, and of course it's got Caesar's face on it. So they said, Caesar's. He said to them, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus doesn't fall into their trap. He doesn't say don't pay taxes. But that doesn't stop them trying to pin it on him anyway. 
That's what they do. One of Pilate's main responsibilities was to collect taxes uh, for Caesar. And if they can convince Pilate that, well, maybe soon quite a lot of Jews might not be paying their taxes, well, Caesar might hear about that, and Caesar might start asking some pretty awkward questions of Pilate. And, and the problem is, is that Caesar didn't have to act in line with the Employment Right Acts of 1996. Caesar could be pretty brutal. But it's the third claim that really gets Pilate's attention. This is the one that he spends most of the time investigating. This is the claim. He's saying that he is Christ, a king. He's saying that he's a Christ, a king. Someone claiming to be a king was a bit of an issue for Pilate. That was the last thing he wants. Obviously, partly he wants his own power. He doesn't want any competition that way. But he also doesn't want Caesar hearing about this either. Imagine if Caesar hears that there's this king rising up and Pilate's done nothing about it. Wouldn't look great. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. It's the same response that we saw uh, Jesus give last week. Do you remember when the chief priest and the scribes said, are you the son of God? And he says, you've said so. Well, the first two claims were a lie, but this one's true. You see, they claim it's blasphemy. He's condemned himself. But of course, it's only blasphemy if it's not true. When the other Gospels, you see much more detail about this um, interrogation. For example, in, in John 18, there's quite a long conversation. And, and Jesus explains to Pilate that his kingdom, he is a king, but it's not a kingdom of this world. It's a different type of kingdom. But Luke has chosen not to go into details. And so we're not going to go into details either this morning. Luke's deliberately keeping it brief because he wants us to see something very clearly this morning. He doesn't want us to get bogged down in all the details. He wants us to see something very clearly. And that is, I'm giving a bit of a spoiler here, but that is that Jesus is an innocent man. That's going to be the thrust of the the verses that we look at in the next few verses. Jesus is an innocent man. So, Pilate's investigated Jesus, he's he's questioned him, he's interrogated him, and now he's satisfied. He's come to his conclusion. So he gathers the chief priests and the crowds, and he says, I find no guilt in this man. That is the verdict. His verdict, not guilty. Not guilty. But that's not what everyone wanted to hear. This wasn't part of their plan. So they they dial it up a bit. They up the intensity. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. Pilate, you're not getting this. This man's an agitator. He's going to cause trouble. Say goodbye to law and order if you let this man go free, and he will cause you trouble because it's coming even to this place. Well, in all the clamour, Pilate picks up something. He picks up that Jesus is a Galilean. And that means that he's under the jurisdiction of Herod, Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Uh, He served under the Romans. And helpfully, at this time, Herod is actually in Jerusalem. He's in the city because of the Passover festival. So he's quite nearby. So Pilate says, well, let's get a second opinion. So he sends him over to Herod. 
Let's see what Herod makes of Jesus. So we enter Herod's courtroom. Herod's courtroom. This is verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him. Now everyone uh, in Galilee had heard about uh, Jesus, so it's no surprise that Herod had heard about him. And he was glad to see him. He'd been looking forward to seeing him for a long time. He was excited. I get to meet him. Well, it sounds good for Jesus. This is positive. But it says, Herod was glad to see him because he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Herod doesn't really care much about what Jesus might say. He just cares about what Jesus might do. He treats him a bit like a circus animal and he just wants to see some special trick. You see this quite a bit in Jesus' life. Where people are interested in Jesus because of what he does, not really because of what he says. They're fascinated by him. He's kind of curious to them. Sometimes he does things amazing for them and so they follow him. They treat Jesus like he's good to have around because he makes things interesting. But they never really stop to listen much to what he's saying or to listen to why he does what he does. They just like the tricks. They like the signs. But they don't go any deeper than that. You know, a lot of people nowadays still treat people like this. Treat Jesus like this, sorry. He's interesting. He's an interesting character. What, what can he do for me? If he answers the, the prayers the way we want, then good. It's great. If he goes along with what we're thinking, good. But if he doesn't, then, well, maybe we've got no time for him. Well, Herod questions Jesus for a long time. You can imagine the pressure that he puts on him. Come on, Jesus, do something, say something. On top of that, you've got the, the chief priests and the scribes. It says they're vehemently accusing him. Vehemently is quite a strong word, isn't it? We probably don't use it much. It's quite a strong word. Synonyms include vigorously, passionately, violently, heatedly. That's how they're accusing Jesus, vehemently. But Jesus doesn't say anything. This is, this is one of those scenes where perhaps you can really try and picture it in your head. They're vehemently accusing Jesus. Imagine the, the noise. And Jesus is there and he's silent. This is what Isaiah 53 verse 7 was pointing forward to hundreds of years before when it says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter... And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He's silent in all the noise. Well, in Herod's mind, there's no way that this bruised and battered man, remember how he'd been treated shortly beforehand. This bruised and battered man that everyone wanted dead, there's no way that he could be a king. Definitely not a god. I mean, there's no way that a real king or a real God would allow them to be treated like this, right? So Herod, notice this is led by Herod. Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. He's mocking him. And yet there's an irony here, isn't there, about Jesus wearing splendid clothing. Well, Herod and Pilate agree. They both feel the same way. 
Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and he said to them, you've brought this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he has sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. He's saying, look, I examined him, I found him not guilty. Herod has examined him, he found him not guilty. This man does not deserve death. But Pilate's a politician. He knows he needs to appease the crowd somehow. He knows he needs to do something. So he says, I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Now, if you're eagle-eyed, especially if you're reading it in front of you, you'll notice that there's no verse 17 in the text. I spent a while looking for it this week, well, a couple of weeks ago. It's there in some manuscripts, but not in all of them. It's possible that it was a later edition. But it basically explains that that was the custom in those days at that time that the Romans would release one prisoner of the Jews choosing back to them. And it says it in the other Gospels as well. So we know that is true. That's what happened. And it seems like Pilate has given them sort of the worst alternative in Barabbas. He's kind of saying, look, okay, you can either have Barabbas or Jesus. Like he's desperate for them to have Jesus back. And he's like, okay, well, if you want, then you can have Barabbas. This is who Barabbas is. We see it in verse 19. He was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection or rebellion against the Romans, started in the city, and for murder. So he's guilty of rebellion against the Romans and murder. But Barabbas is the one they want released. Pilate picks the worst of the worst, and they choose Barabbas over Jesus. They choose a a violent insurrectionist and a murderer over Jesus. Now, it struck me this week as I was thinking about this. Remember how they tried getting Pilate's attention in the first place? Do you remember what they said about Jesus? They basically said he's a rebel. He's going to cause trouble. That they came across as if they were so concerned for Rome's affairs. Look, Pilate, we're helping you out here. He's going to cause you trouble. But now they show their true colours as they cry out for someone to be released who is an insurrectionist who is a rebel, who will cause trouble for the Romans. They cry out for Barabbas to be released. It's amazing, isn't it, that they wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. But Pilate doesn't give in without a fight. He wants to release Jesus. So he addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. You've all seen protests, right? where they shout the same thing over and over and over again. And you can imagine this chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, Pilate says to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. We go back to Pilate's courtroom and this is what he says again, not guilty. This is what Luke's telling us again and again, not guilty. He's innocent. He's done nothing deserving of death. It's quite a big build-up, but we need to be seeing this. He's not guilty. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He gives in to the people. 
So often, isn't it, the loudest voices that win? Pilate tried to do the right thing. Tried three times at least. But in the end, when push came to shove, Pilate chose the easier, safe option. In the end, he chose his comfort and his career over Jesus. Truth played a second fiddle in the end. Other things were more important to him than Jesus. And so we get to the last verse of this section, verse 25. This is what it's all been building up to. This is the the punchline that I mentioned at the beginning. And I can imagine Luke wanting us to slow down as we get to this verse and read it slowly and carefully so we feel the impact of what Luke's saying. I don't know how Luke wrote this verse, but in my head I've been imagining him writing it slowly and deliberately. He says, Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. I'm going to read that again. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. The injustice levels here are off the charts. Picture the scene. You've got Barabbas, and he's in prison, he's in chains. He's expecting at any point to be executed. And for good reason. He's guilty. But the prison officer comes along and releases him, and he walks free. And Jesus, who we've seen time and time again this morning is not guilty, is thrown into prison. Barabbas heads home. Jesus heads to the cross. Now I don't know what was heading or going through Barabbas' mind as he gets home and as he sort of slowly hears about what's happened. I imagine he was pretty stunned. I imagine he had some questions. I imagine he'd have been even more stunned if he realised that Jesus planned to do this all along. See, what happens here is a beautiful picture of what the Bible calls substitution. Well, it is substitution. Let me show you. So this is what we've got. We've got Jesus, who's been declared time and time again not guilty. And Barabbas, who we know is guilty. No question. It's very evident. But this is what happens. Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. And Barabbas swaps places with Jesus. So it looks like this. So suddenly now, you've got Jesus, and in the eyes of the law, the verdict above him is guilty. And you've got Barabbas, who in the eyes of the law, is now not guilty. They've swapped places. It's a substitution. And you know, this is like one giant object lesson of what God can do for us. Now, we might think that we're very different to Barabbas, and maybe in some ways we are. 
But you know, each one of us will find ourselves not in Herod's courtroom, not in Pilate's courtroom, but we'll find ourselves in God's courtroom. And you know, the Bible tells us that when we come into God's courtroom, when we, when we come before God as the judge, the verdict that we will be given is guilty. Guilty. You see, we're criminals against God's good and right laws. We've broken them. We're criminals. And the Bible warns us that the penalty for this is death. We're guilty. And so we now stand in the place of Barabbas. You can see that on the screen. If Jesus hasn't done anything for us, this is the status that we have. We are guilty. It's as if we've got a big guilty sign sort of tattooed on our forehead. Guilty before God. Jesus is not guilty. Pilate didn't find him guilty. And in the eyes of God, Jesus is not guilty. Jesus is innocent. He's not guilty. But we are guilty. But this is what Jesus does. He says, if we come to him... He will take our place. And that means that we can take Jesus' place. And so this is what it looks like when that happens. See that sunny Jesus is the one who's got guilty on him. And we stand there before God. And in God's eyes, the verdict of the law says not guilty. Not guilty. This is what Jesus does. He takes away, he erases the guilty mark from our foreheads so that we can have access to God. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he was a bit slow in getting all of this. But a while later, he suddenly understood what Jesus was doing. And he writes this. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Or we might say, after looking at what we're looking at this morning, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the not guilty for the guilty, that he might bring us to God. This is how we can have access to God. You know, if you're a Christian here this morning, that, or sorry, that, is what's happened to you. Now that's a, that's a diagram of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, the righteous innocent one, has given you his righteousness and he has taken for himself your death-deserving guiltiness. And Paul later says in Romans 8 verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Just like Barabbas walked free. He was a free man. That's what we can do because of Jesus. We can walk free. In God's eyes, we are free. There is no condemnation that can be brought against us. And I just want to finish with this. This is something I've been thinking about this week. I hope it doesn't sort of boggle your minds too much at the end of a service. (laughs) But uh, just been thinking about this. Because there was injustice in Pilate's court, an innocent man was condemned to death. Because of that injustice, 
There can be justice in God's court where guilty people like you and me can be set free without condemnation. I'll read that just one more time. Because there was injustice in Pilate's court, an innocent man was condemned to death. Because of that injustice, there can be justice in God's court where guilty people like you and me can be set free without condemnation. This is why Jesus is about to head to the cross. We'll see that in the next couple of weeks. He heads to the cross to die. This is the heart of the gospel. This is why it's good news, because Jesus offers to take our place. And if you know that, I hope that gives you a reason for joy this morning. And if you don't know that, then come to Jesus and he freely offers to swap places. And if you want to talk about it, talk to a friend or come and chat to one of us. We'd love to chat to you about that if you've got any more questions. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you willingly came to earth. And Lord, it wasn't just that you ended up being killed, sentenced to death, but Lord, you chose to do that. You planned to do that. And Lord, Barabbas must have been amazed at what had happened. And yet, Lord, that is what you can do for us. And Lord, I thank you that many of us here know that you have taken our place on the cross. Lord, you have died instead of us so that we can be proclaimed not guilty and we can have access to you. And that is a wonderful thing. And Lord, I just pray now for anyone who doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that they would feel their need of you. Lord, that you would swap places with them and that they would know you for themselves. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful account in Luke's gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing. Uh, It's an older song. The words have been updated a little bit. But it really just asks God to help us understand some of this more. So, let's stand and sing.
to say you all very welcome back at 6.30 tonight where we meet again. Let's pray to close. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to understand some of the love that you showed us as you went to the cross. Help us to understand it. Help us to be amazed. Lord, melt our hearts, I pray. And do be with us now as we go our separate ways, Lord. I pray that you keep us safe. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.